Father, as we come now to expounding of your word, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Father, anyone who preaches the word, who does it faithfully, is nothing more than an outpiece to do. And we pray, Lord, that you may be so among us today. And Lord, that you can be glorified in your word and in your people. We thank you, Father, for this great love which is ours in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us as we consider it together. For we ask it in his precious and holy name. Which can normally deal with 
without much emotion, they tend to become amplified and proper responses to those things become more and more difficult. Spiritual coldness and the sense of growing apart from God is a situation that no true believer can live with for very long. And I found that this man was no exception to that general rule. He began bringing his complaints to the Lord. But still he was struggling. It didn't help when people came challenging him about his faith and his supposed trust in the goodness of God's grace. Because he wasn't seeing any of it himself. And their pointing him out was just making everything all the more painful for him. Now this man is someone we are all acquainted with, to one degree or another. His name is King David. And though he was a king only in name at this point in time, he was struggling with his relationship with the Lord. King Saul was making his life miserable, banning him from the house of God, forcing him to remain hidden away in caves on the edge of the wilderness, and carrying out a slanderous campaign against him in the public eye, calling him a treacherous outlaw. And during this time, David also felt himself drifting away, drifting away from the warm and blessed relationship that he had with God. Who would ever think that the young man that was so filled with faith and courage in the face of Goliath would ever come to the point where he would say, as the deer pants for the water books, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Isaac. Deep calls on the deep of the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. They say to me all day long, where is your God? In times of spiritual weakness, sins which are so easily resisted when we're in our strength, become snags for our passions and stumbling blocks for us to triple. There arises a new and troubling edginess to life itself. 
beauty. Others become offensive to us, even those dear to us, when no offense is intended. But because of that separation from God, because of that growing hopeless of heart, our relationship with them changes. We become emotionally brittle. Our reactions are directed more by the natural man than, than the spiritual man. Our conversation comes, becomes seasoned with bitterness and anger, sometimes even malice. The Apostle Paul describes the daily struggle with sin in this way in Romans chapter 7. He says, For what I am doing, this is verse 15, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Then in verse 18, he says this, For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And then in verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law of my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. That's the, the natural daily struggle of the believer. But when our spirit goes cold and distant from the Lord, all those things are intensified and amplified, and the battle becomes more heated and more internal and more of a struggle as we try to deal with this fact that we're feeling this distance, this growing distance between us and our God, and we're trying to live with that, that reality. But despite all that David had to say about how he felt and what was going on with him, he didn't give way to despair. On the contrary, he found strength, confidence, even peace for himself in the midst of all this by admonishing his own soul and saying to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. You see, beloved, David had his eye on something that filled his troubled mind and heart with hope. And it was not David's love for God. And it was not because of his perceived faithfulness to or his trust in God. And what gave David hope in these circumstances was the character of God's unfailing love for him and the Lord's loving understanding of the fact that David was just us. He didn't take encouragement for how much he loved from how much he loved God. 
He didn't take encouragement from how faithful he was. He took his encouragement, he drew it from how faithful God is and how great his love is and how in that love God remembered that he was just us. You read it with me just a few moments ago from Psalm 103. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust. As for us, our days are like grass. As the flower of the field, we flourish. But then the wind passes over and it's gone, and the place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. You see, David knew himself to be the special object of God's love through the Messiah Redeemer. And because of the faithfulness and the fidelity of that love that God had for him, he knew that it was in God that his hope could safely rest, even in times that he didn't understand even the circumstances that were troubling to He felt secure because God's loving countenance, his gaze, his face, his disposition, that gaze of God, that loving countenance of God is the deliverance, the salvation, the help, the health, the source of all welfare to his people. Not their love for him. His love for them. Not their faithfulness to him, his faithfulness to them. That is the ground of the believer's security. So as you sit here, or you're gathered there in your homes today, where are you drawing your spiritual strength and your vitality, that the vitality of your Christian life from? From your outward condition, that is the present state of affairs in your life. If so, let me warn you that the circumstances of life in this world are too changeable and too unreliable to rest your hope and your confidence in that. If that's what you're doing, and therefore you feel somewhat shaken because your circumstances have changed or are changing, understand that that's not a reliable thing to put your hope and trust in. Not those circumstances. In fact, let's be realistic here. If the present chatter in the political world is to be believed, and it comes to fruition, it's inevitable that it will be far more costly in the future for you to be a committed Christian than it is even now at this moment. Far more costly. It's going to require more of you to live for Christ in this world. If that chatter comes to fruition. So your circumstances are changing. They're changing even while working now. And if you're struggling now because your life 
devote your thought would be. And you're compromising your Christian values or your faith at home or, or in the public arena. What are you going to do then? It's even more costly. Now, the hope and the strength and the vitality of your faith and obedience must not be resting in your outward condition, the outward condition of your life. Those outward conditions are too volatile. If that's what you're leaning on for the vitality and strength of your Christian life, give it up now. Please give it up now. Because it won't sustain you. And it can't be safely placed in your fidelity or faithfulness or that of any other creature behind. You can't plead with God to remember that you're dust while you think you're iron. God, don't you remember I'm just dust, though? I think I'm good in this. Let me get another way. Do not treasure your sense of safety and peace and security on how much you love your God. But rather, brethren, on how much your God loves you. That's it. On how much he loves you. Remember, Peter was self-convinced and he even boasted that no one loved Jesus more than he did. You remember that? He thought that that's what made him secure. When he looked at his life and he considered his life, he said, nobody loves you like I do, so you can count on me. Oh, beloved, if you're of that heart, remember Peter. He said that all others would desert Jesus, but he never would. And later it came out that he was self-deceived about the nature of his love for Christ. If this is the ground of your spiritual confidence and strength, let it go. Let it go. Before, like Peter, it leads you to deny him and everything you stand for in him. Or distress or perplexity. 
living for your sake, they're killed all day long, we're counted for sheep as the slaughter. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us because we can't be separated from that love, you see? That's why we're more than conquerors. For I am persuaded neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 35, Paul asks first, Who or what shall be separating us, meaning you believers, from the love of Christ? Who or what shall be separating you? Who or what shall be able to put any distance between you and the love of Christ so that it can't reach you? So that it can't come to you, so it can't fall upon you? And the answer is obviously nothing. There's nothing. There's no creature, there's no circumstance that can separate you from this love. But this is even a better thing than we often realize. Because everything that you and I enjoy as Christians is dependent on that connection. Everything that we enjoy as believers is dependent on that connection. That, that connection between us and the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Even your love for Him. You have the love that you have for Him because He loves you. That's why you have If we could be severed from this love, it would be like severing the cord from this lamp. Just cutting that cord. There would be no way to get light from the lamp. Or, or maybe more critical, it would be like a catastrophic failure of your phone's power system. And imagine what it would be like if suddenly there was no way to power it up and you get no access to the SIM card or any of your files. How your life would change if that's cut off. And if somebody could separate us from his love, it would be like that. Everything would die. Everything you know as a Christian, all the comforts, all the blessings, all, all the, the value of prayer and, and the blessing of, of God's word and, and, and the blessing of fellowship, all of it, if you could be separated from that love, all of it would die. But you cannot be separated from that love. That's the point that you made here. This his love for us is the, the fuel and the energy of all the love that we have. Husbands cannot hope to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but through the love of God to them. That's where that comes from. Wives cannot submit to their husbands. Children can't honor their parents. Parents can't love their children in a covenantal way. Believers can't defer to one another in love, except as they abide in his love. 
So praise God, nothing can separate you from that. And so you have that connection for all the things that you need to be what you need to be to glorify Christ. I am the vine, Jesus says in John 15, 5, and we're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Is Christ perfect and almighty love toward the believer, and not the believer's imperfect and feeble love towards Christ that supports under the distress and persecutions of the present time. If this were lost, all was lost. Even the believer's own love for Christ should. Now why do we say this concerning the love of Christ? On part because earlier, Paul spoke of the way this love is manifested or forged in you. And it's powerfully put. And many of you know it by heart. Because he loved you, that love existed before the foundations of the world. And those who he foreknew, knew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, you whom he predestinated, he also called, and you that were called were also justified, and you who were justified were also glorified. And then Paul says, and then what shall we say about these things? If God is for us like that, if that's the, the character of his love manifested in us, who could be against us? Who can separate us from that love? Nothing can, Paul says. You're not just loved, you've been loved, beloved, since before the foundations of the world. In that love, he predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his Son. By that love, he called you, he justified you, and it's that love that will glorify you. And this beloved is unlike anything else you might know. A love coursing out of the heart of God and manifesting itself with all its power, its animation, and its beauty in you right now. If you are Christ, this love is abiding on you. This inseparable love is yours. And no one can stand between you and it. No one can push you apart from it. I mentioned before how I had the, the great experience of witnessing in person the last manned mission to the moon. And it's an event I just can't ever get out of my mind. We were a few miles away, a crowd of people strung out on a thin strip of sand. People were sitting on their cars, people were sitting in lawn chairs, uh, sitting on top of their RVs. 
all watching this huge rocket across the way. And when the countdown came to launch, we first saw the light of the ignited engines. And then the great plume of smoke as the rocket began to claw its way into the sky. It seemed like it was moving in slow motion. It was uh, slowed down for us to, to watch and appreciate. The next thing that hit our senses was a deafening roar. It was so loud, even from where we were, that we had to shout to each other in order to be heard. I tried to reproduce it for you, but I can't. I can make a lot of big noises, but I don't think I can possibly do that. And then suddenly, as we looked out across the landscape, you could visually see the ground out there shaking. And you could see that shaking ground come closer and closer and closer until finally it was shaking us. And we were being rocked as we stood there in the midst of the sound of this beautiful sight before us, the ground moving under our feet. And it was such a fantastic combination of sight and sound of feeling that people just cheered and they waved to one another up and down the line and kind of looked at each other like, can you believe this? Can you believe this is what this is like? Who would have thought this was what this experience would be like? And people hugged one another and they laughed and they watched us now that rocket grew smaller and smaller and smaller and finally slipped out of sight. And when it was gone, the spectators didn't pack up everything and drive away. They just kind of sat there. Just sat there in the aftermath of that event and enjoyed the camaraderie of that wonderful, shared, unique experience. I don't want to be melodramatic this morning. But I do want to be realistic. I want you to look about you, whether you're calm or here. Look at your wives and husbands, your children, and your friends. Here you are. And right now, a far greater, mightier, more influential and lasting force is coursing down upon you. It is this inseparable, amazing love of the eternal God through the Lord Jesus Christ coming and resting in you and on us. Not walking right now, 
of your city. But you're sitting in the light of that countenance, the countenance of his love. And what a blessed state that is. There's no thundering noise that drowns out everything else. But there's the sound of love and grace in our ears. Coming to us from God. Assuring us of his love for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to those who understood the spiritual significance of the things he said, Blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. But if you can hear the testimony and witness of the love of God for you this morning in his word, if you know yourself to be the object of this inseparable love, to be here today and know that nothing can separate you from that love. You're seeing things that men all through history wish that they could see. You could not. You wish that they could hear about, but they didn't hear. And it's not shaking the ground on which you sit, but it shook you loose from sin and death. It shattered your chains. It brought down the walls around you that imprisoned you, and it gave you new life. In Psalm 107, that image is created in the story of Israel. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. Surely, beloved, if a bunch of strangers gathered on the same strip of land, watching a gigantic piece of scrap metal and electrical gadgets shoot off to the moon, could find enough joy and excitement in the shared experience to linger and savor the event, you and I can find even greater joy and contentment in the realization that this extraordinary love of God is resting on us today. And look at this. And go more carefully take a look at it next time, we'll go. But look at this. Nothing, absolutely nothing, shall be able to separate you from this love. No tribulation. You know, for you, because the love of Christ abides on you, tribulation produces perseverance. Not separation from God. Not distress. We're comforted in our distress, distress by the love of God for us, by the faith that God has given us. Not persecution. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not famine. In the days of famine, God says his people shall be satisfied. Who are nakedness. The believer is clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Or peril. Or even a sword. It's the heritage of the servants of the Lord that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. Because of the objects of his inseparable love. All of this, the result of his love fixed on you, his care 
is not to be determined, beloved, by outward circumstances, but his promise in love to work all things together for your good and to permit nothing at all to ever separate you from that will. You should not put your hopes in the blessing of God's love because of how much you love him. Just think that for a moment. And people naturally do that. But he loved you first. And you had no love at all for him. And now you're going to gauge how you stand before God and how much you love him. How did that switch? Because he loved you and you didn't love him at all. It's not that. It shouldn't be gauged by that. You're loved by him in Christ. And the gauge of that thing is his word, his promise, and the inseparable nature of that love. This is the reality. And next week, by God's grace, we'll start to examine the practical side of this great truth. But for today, can I just challenge you to consider in the context of your family and your friends and the Lord what a great and blessed privilege it is to be the objects of his inseparable love. To just take a moment to just rejoice in couples just to take a moment and sit down and say, you know, here we are. And with all the lessons we have and all the things God has done for us, we have all this wonderful evidence of how much God loves us. To sit in the context of their families and to say, here we are. Parents of coming children and the objects of this precious love what it means to have that love pouring into your lives, into your hearts, even to sit here together and just realize that this room is full of the love of Christ. And in your homes, the love of Christ there as well. It's here. It's all around us because of the love he has for you. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every people. At the Christmas time, we gave to the teens uh, a, little, a little book called Gentle and Lowly by Word. Some of your parents may have seen it or just moved it around, but it would be a great book for you to pick up and just read together as a family to see the nature and character of this love of Christ. If you did get one in your family and you'd like to have one, you let us know and we'll, we'll go ahead and order it for you. It's called Gently and Lowly by Gordon and ORT in the And uh, it will help you.